You are now listening to Abstract Thought. This is a podcast where creatives discuss their creative journey, all kinds of different things about their creative practice, etc. And today I'm sitting down with Dominic Sinabaldi. How you doing, man? Not too bad. How are you? Chilling, chilling. Awesome. Um, welcome to the podcast. I've been... Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. I've been a fan of the stuff you've done with uh, with Squarecat, especially, and same with your your miniature stuff you've been doing as of recently. So it's going to be interesting to talk about some of that stuff. And um, I guess before we jump in and kind of go through certain topics, if you can share with other people here who are listening, you know, how they can hear or see or kind of watch anything about Squarecat or just kind of watch updates of what you do, social media, et cetera. Yeah. Um, It's Cathead Press by the way. <laughs> oh, what did I say? Square cat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, we did. No. We, we do print stuff for square cat. So, you know, it's a easy mistake to make. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Oh uh, no, no, no worries. <laughs> There's a lot of like cat themed places like uh, alley cat ceramics. Just, I was just uh, going to say that <laughs> opened up too. So I, you know, everybody's a cat lover, I suppose, but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, cats are red. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah. My cat's trying to peek in on the, do meaning right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, so um, as far as like um, my own work, um, I do have like obviously uh, we have our Instagram for Cathead Press. Um, so that's just Cathead Press Indie on Instagram. And that's predominantly where I'm posting stuff about, you know, projects we're doing because uh, we not only, you know, print you know, do commercial printing as far as t-shirts and, you know, soft goods like that for local businesses and things. But, you know, we work with artists. We, you know, prior to the pandemic, we had a gallery that we ran and we did artist events and things like that, workshops and everything. And we're kind of, you know, starting to get in back into some of those things. Um, I'm actually working on launching, um, a new workshop series like screen printing workshops that people can take and stuff like that. So also I keep saying we, but it's basically me. I'm like the only one that runs <laughs> the joint at this point. So, um, but yeah, so you can find us just at head press indie on Instagram. Um, and then my own work, uh, as far as what I do for sort of my, my, my kind of artwork, um, I have an Instagram account called Dominic small world. And that's all my uh, like HO scale and like 125th scale miniatures that I've been working on. Um, and then I also post some stuff on my personal account, which is Urban House Wizard. Um, and I'll do some modeling stuff on there, but I do a lot of like my food stuff on that, that account. Um, I'm not a huge Facebook person at this point. It's like, I don't know, there's like mostly... <laughs> If it wasn't for the like weird modeling groups that I'm on, um, I probably wouldn't be on Facebook, but you know, it's sort of a necessary evil at this point. Um, yeah. And I do have to say, when I say modeling, I mean, my like HO scale, like train modeling, not, I've told people in the past, they're like, what have you been doing recently? You know, I was like, oh, I've been doing some modeling. And they're like, oh, like you're modeling, you're posing for drawings. And I'm, no, no, no. Like <laughs> it's like HO scale, like small buildings. <laughs> <laughs> Think train sets, you know, from when you were a kid kind of thing. So that's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a huge, I'm a, mostly on Instagram is where you can find a lot of, a lot of the stuff I'm doing both with Cathead 
um, and my own work and stuff like that. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Awesome, man. Yeah. Facebook's a bit of a dumpster fire. So I, I dip in when I need very specific niche information on weird subcultures that have a a forum I can join. But other than that, (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm part of, I'm, a, I, I'm part of a few of these uh, modeling groups on Facebook and they're weird places, man. Like everybody's pretty cool. And the main modeling group that I'm on, um, everybody's really cool. And there's very kind of strict, um, like page guidelines, you know, no political stuff, because obviously, you know, the modeling world is, it's, it's sort of 50, 50, it's sort of weird creatives kind of, people like me and then it's a bunch of you know aging boomer dudes <laughs> like kind of like weird gatekeeper people that get really uppity about what glue to use and what paint to use and stuff like that so there's obviously some weird uh political things can sometimes sneak in yeah uh, but it's pretty quick to be removed by like the page admin and stuff because it's like you know none of us want to see that we're trying to just talk about building tiny buildings <laughs> <laughs> tiny buildings and which glue to use yeah exactly so it's it's kind of a funny world to be to be uh to kind of get into yeah that's funny. awesome dude i yeah. uh this is kind of a question i've asked a few different guests but um i was wondering since you've been into this like modeling realm um like in graffiti there's a term for people who have just started painting graffiti and they don't know what they're doing it's called being a toy like you're just being okay. a little kid and like you don't know the right way to do stuff or the right way to use paint. So you're just playing with toys. And then I was talking to Dane Smith. He's a tattooer here Mm -hmm. in Indy. And he was telling me that people who do tattoos who are in that toy phase are called scratchers. Is there a term in modeling of people who like just got in, who don't know what they're doing? They're just slapping stuff together. Um, I haven't heard anything. I've heard like newbie, like, tossed around in some of the modeling groups but that's kind of like an old term i think i think but uh people are actually it's kind of interesting people are 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 rather generous with information um in like the modeling realm because when i first started getting into it it was right before COVID hit and i went to hobby town which is up by um like asaka and the hooters like off is that in, in castleton yeah yeah it's like off of 86 or whatever up there where the what's that store like only on weekends or i can't remember what the name of that store is yeah i used to get hjo scale trains from from that store a long time ago yeah exactly and so i just like rolled in there and i just bought a little plastic kit like a little building and i'd always loved trains since i was a kid and you know i was a lego builder and you know so i've always and I've just always been into building and stuff like that. So um, I just bought this kit and it was a brick, like a plastic brick kit. And I got it home. I was like, how do, and I had like seen some stuff online and I was sort of like, how do they make it look like brick? It's plastic. And how do you paint it? How do you get the grout? I was like, am I going to have to take a tiny brush and just paint all the grout lines? So I ended up just going on YouTube and looking up how to paint, you know, HO scale brick. And this account popped up that was Jason Jensen trains. And he is this amazing modeler. Um, and he's probably just a little bit older than me. So he's probably like early forties and he's actually an old, um, uh, I'd say old, he's not old, old, but, uh, he used to be like a comic artist and he did, um, like Witchblade, 
I think was the comic he worked on. And uh, he does like high profile miniature commissions for architecture firms and things like that. But he has a whole like HO scale layout he's been working on. And he has this awesome YouTube channel. And we're connected on Facebook and Instagram now. And we talk and, you know, I shoot him messages and he's just like super generous and super awesome. Um, He's kind of like this Bob Ross sort of style character in the modeling world. So, um, but yeah, I don't know what my point was, but, but, but people have been like pretty like generous with information. So it's, it's been kind of an approachable medium to sort of get into, I think for me anyways. Yeah, that's super cool. I, I imagine it's a very like, it, it, considering it's such a niche type of thing, like, you know, once people get into it, it's kind of like people have just been waiting to tell other people the certain glue that they use that does you totally know, it's like magic. <laughs> so like they see somebody maybe struggling, they're like, dude, I found this thing out. You got to try it, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. That's- yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's people ask questions on some of the forums and stuff and I've only been doing it for like two years and I'm ready with, you know, 50 recommendations that like, you know, 50 other people have already recommended, <laughs> you know, everybody wants to kind of get their like, you know, say their piece, you know, about the best whatever to use, you know, so it's, it's a pretty, it's a funny, funny sort of realm to get into. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, you touched on earlier, you said that you've always been kind of interested in, you know, building and trains, etc. What is your, what is your kind of background like? Are you I think I did a little bit of research about you. Are you from mm-hmm. India originally? Or are you from the, the West Coast or what's yeah, a little bit so of your I'm, backstory? I'm from the West Coast. So I grew up in Washington State. So I grew up in Eastern Washington um, in Spokane, which is, I don't know, 40 minutes from the Idaho border if you just go east. So it's East, Eastern Washington. Um, everybody sort of thinks what all of Washington is Seattle <laughs> and it's like, no, about 75% of the state is East of the mountains. So it's high desert. It's hundred degrees in the summer, four feet of snow in the winter. It's not just constant rain, like, you know, Seattle or whatever. Uh, so that's where I grew up. And then I moved to the West side of the state after high school and bummed around in Seattle for a couple of years. Um, and then started going to college in Aberdeen, Washington, which is Kurt Cobain's hometown. And, uh, that's where I met my partner and that's where I got sort of back into art. Uh, prior to that, when I first started college, I was about 21 when I started going to college. So I took a bit of a break after high school and, uh, when I was in high school, I was into engineering, architecture and chemistry. And so that's kind of where, you know, my building was kind of going, you know, in architecture class where I was making models and out of like foam core and stuff like that. So, um, but I'd always been, you know, drawing and painting and, you know, stuff like that as, you know, as a kid. And so when I started going back to college, I just took an art class and just got like fully immersed back into the art world. And so um, I got my A degree at a community college, majored in art, and then I went to Western Washington University in Bellingham. Uh, That's where I got into printmaking, really. So I started doing lithography and etching, uh, screen printing, stuff like that. And then what was uh, what was your take on screen printing coming from doing some of this like building and engineering background? It was I mean, I think the reason I mean, 
any print medium, whether it's screen printing, lithography, etching, it's all so heavily process based. Um, and there's a lot of obviously with etching and lithography, there's a lot of chemistry involved. So I think there was something in the the process aspect of it that resonated with that with what I was into prior to that. Um, and so, yeah, especially with with lithography, which I kind of predominantly focused on all throughout undergrad and graduate school. Um, I didn't like fully get immersed into printmaking really, or I'm sorry, into screen printing till the last little bit I was in Chicago. And then really when I was at Heron for graduate school is when I really kind of got into screen printing um, a lot. But uh, yeah, there was something about- Is that what brought you to Indy, the graduate program? Yeah, so I had, after I finished at Western, I applied to graduate school at SIC in Chicago and didn't get in, but they still wanted my money, obviously. So <laughs> they were like, oh, you can come do a post-bac program. And I was like, all right. I, I was in my early 20s. I didn't understand the cost of college, and but it was an invaluable experience. I really learned a lot. And especially just kind of moving that far away from my home state into a city like Chicago, it just sort of like opened my mind to so much stuff. Um, and I really just learned a lot about being an artist in a city and how to like work with other artists and meet new artists and do shows and write about my work. So there was a lot of good stuff, you know, even though the price tag of that uh, college was pretty hefty. <laughs> But uh, after I did two years there is when I applied to a bunch of grad schools and I got into three or four um, and I ended up choosing Heron, one, because of its proximity and then just because of its printmaking history. Um, so that's why I came down here and that was like 2011 is when I moved to Indy, um, graduated 2013. And then I started teaching at Heron right out of grad school. Um, so I was at Heron teaching and I was also, after a while, I got hired as the shop tech for the printmaking department. Um, and I officially kind of left, well, I left that position in 2019, I believe. And then I was still adjuncting and then COVID hit. <laughs> Thanks. So, but, um, but I had started opening Cathead in like 2016. Um, and so when was I was this Heron, just a, was this just a side project at the time? Yeah, it was like, uh, it was, we kind of started like hashing it out in 2015 and then officially opened Cathead Press in 2016. And then, yeah, just kind of did it as a side project for a few years until finally it got to a point where I could do it sort of full time. And that's when I left my full time employment at Heron. How was that Um, transition? It was weird. Um, You know, it was giving up something very arduous and kind of soul crushing uh working as a staff member at a academic institution for something more fulfilling and freeing yet extremely unstable as far as income (laughs) goes so uh it was definitely there's a lot of stress and it's it's still something i'm i'm kind of struggling with um at this point because it's essentially I'm running a small business, you know, and it's, it's really hard if you, if you don't have, I don't know, quarter of a million dollars in the bank or something <laughs> like that. So yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride for sure, but um, it's fun. I mean, it's a blast, but you know, it's, I don't know, it's a give and take, you know, with both things. So <laughs> definitely, man. Absolutely. 
Um, what were your your early years kind of after grad school like? Like, what type of stuff were you screen printing, or, or what what did mm. your art sort of look like at that time? Yeah, at that point, um, since I hadn't like since I was got hired on right away to teach at Heron, I still had access to the print lab there, which was great because I was still able to make, you know, lithographs. Um, I could use those facilities to make my work. Um, and then as the years went by, I ended up getting a studio at the Harrison Center and that was somewhere around 2014. Um, and since I was in that studio more, I, kind of my focus shifted from prints more to just drawings. So I was just doing a lot of graphite drawings, but still kind of the 2D realm. Um, and I started getting a little bit more into sculpture, um, just like small sculptural objects that had sort of drawing, like drawing or print elements to them, but still predominantly kind of working in 2D um, artwork. And my drawings kind of, they sort of, evolved from my prints they were very similar because a lot of the prints i was doing were lithographs which are, are essentially drawings you know you're drawing on a stone and then pulling prints from that drawing so it's very similar in a way it's just you with a litho you can make a hundred instead of just one drawing so um but yeah it's still kind of just like working in that in that 2d 2d realm um but yeah, and then I, as soon as I started doing cat head um, and kind of started doing that full time, my work shifted a lot more from actually making just to managing like an arts business um, or slash organization. So my, I ended up leaving my studio because I just wasn't making work anymore because I couldn't really like serve more than one master <laughs> at the time. Um, and then I started doing print jobs for people. You know, I had friends, even though we didn't open Cathead at first with the intent of it being a commercial screen printing shop, I was getting friends of mine all the time being like, hey, can you like print me 20 shirts? Can you do this? And I was like, I don't really know how to print shirts, but I'll, I'll try, <laughs> you know? And so I like started doing these little jobs for people. And I was like, oh, well, this could be a way to kind of generate some income to sustain the the business and some of the like work we want to do with trying to pay artists for stuff and things like that. So it just kind of took off from there. And now I just like basically print stuff for other people. That's my like printmaking thing. Um, and that's kind of how I got into the modeling was needing something that wasn't related <laughs> right, to that kind of realm, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, parallels some of my my work in advertising I, I was a graphic designer for a advertising agency out of school and um yeah i was definitely seeking something else that was more i don't know creatively fulfilling and it's definitely like a bit of a struggle trying to make money doing <laughs> that thing that you're trying to do creatively um okay. there's there's something about just painting for the sake of painting or creating just from the sake of creating that's a little bit more pure and you feel like you can just kind of do whatever you want and there's no pressure behind it. Um, what, what are your takes on, on the modeling stuff? I mean, you're putting a tremendous amount of time into it and, and craft. Um, and that being said, there seems to be some sort of innate value that comes with 
putting these 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 things together um do you sell some of the models that you've created or you know yeah. what, what, are, what are your thoughts on that whole kind of selling them or keeping them or just doing it as a hobby yeah it's it's kind of an interesting thing to think about because when i first started doing it and sharing images of it people were like oh my gosh these are so amazing and i'm like yeah i don't know i just like took to it instantly you know and um, really just kind of got into this, you know, making these buildings look old and all this like layering and it was very painterly. And I was getting a lot of people asking, oh, are you going to sell these? Are you going to show these? And I sort of initially had that attitude of, you know, I, I, I have a hard time with the term hobby hmm. and like hobbyist um, in some contexts. Uh, Cause I don't know, in some ways, I think it, it's a devaluing term unless we can sort of reestablish the term hobby or craft as like something, you know, it is worth more than, than I think what people think, but Definitely. anyway, my, yeah. So my, but my point is that a lot of people were asking, you know, Oh, are you going to sell these? Are you going to show them? And I was like, I don't know. Like I, you know, I'm not looking to monetize this hobby you know yeah. for lack of a better word you know it's like my partner uh they garden a lot and i'm guilty of being like hey we should try to sell some of these vegetables and she's just like i i don't want to monetize i just do this for joy and to feed ourselves you know and she's like i don't want to like monetize this you know so it's kind of the same how i felt about the modeling thing is I, I wasn't going into it with an intent of it being sort of a hustle or like a side hustle of like, Oh, I could show these or sell them or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I think things change and evolve and now I'm sort of like, well, maybe I could, you know, do some sort of offshoot, you know, modeling kind of exhibition, you know, maybe I just, you know, paint a bunch of doors and they're mounted on a wall, you know, so I'm starting to kind of like think about these more conceptual ideas that I could use some of the skills and techniques I've been kind of honing with the, the craft for something that I could show people in that sort of context. So I think, I think I didn't go into it with that intent, but I think it's starting now to sort of evolve naturally kind of into that that area which i think is a little bit more healthy than approaching it from well i gotta i gotta make something off of this <laughs> kind of idea you know so yeah definitely and if it's anything like cat head you know you probably started cat head like oh yeah it'd be pretty cool to maybe like do something with my friends if they want to make something cool they could just pop in and do something and all of a sudden you're like i don't even make art anymore and i'm just having yeah. a good production and you know so you're probably looking at the things that you like to do you know from a very pure standpoint you're like mm, i'm gonna let exactly. that chill for a little bit before i invest too much you know yeah because it kind of it kind of changes the motivation for it and it's like you know i don't want everything to be capitalism you know right <laughs> it's like i just want to enjoy enjoy the process and and the making of it, you know, and like you said, the kind of like pure, pure state of just, of, of just sort of creating. Um, yeah. So that's kind of been where, where I've been at with it for a that's, while. That's beautiful, man. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Yeah. Just being able to make and have no pressure behind it. Like, I mean, in a weird way, I kind of started my, my art and mural practice sort of like that. And then it sort of evolved into, well, if I want to paint a building, that's kind of costly, you know, so I have right. to have people pay for, you know, the paint and the supplies and the lift or whatever's involved. So 
you know, it's definitely grown into a different beast than I had originally, but, um, I don't know. I just have to be real careful about things I take on and things I say yes to, you know, Mm -hmm. if I'm, if I'm really like struggling for money, maybe I'll say yes to something that otherwise I wouldn't, but yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with just doing something that you, you know, purely enjoy and you know, your, your skill and your craft and your level of expertise. I I think that's awesome, man. And And I mean, it rings through in the work too. I mean, I can definitely tell like you just having fun and enjoying what you're doing. Totally. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a blast. It's really fun. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing because it's sort of, um, I think that's one of the hardest things as artists, um, to learn just because of the way the arts are centered in how our economy works and what it's like, assess like cultural value of what the arts are i think it's really hard for artists to learn when to say no because we're taught we should say yes to everything even if it's not emotionally or monetarily beneficial (laughs) to us because we we are sort of there's this cultural idea that well you just doing the work is fulfillment enough, you know? So it's, I, I think that gets tough when it's, when you're trying to make a living off of artwork, when to say no, uh, because yeah, there can be projects that just aren't, they're not going to be good for your mental health or your physical health or your finances. But we're like, but I got to say yes, because someone asked me. And if I say no, then I'm not going to get any more jobs. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like this weird game that, um we're kind of forced to play as artists so it's 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 a weird weird gig <laughs> yes it definitely is pretty bizarre and it, it it gets even weirder when the stuff you really don't want to do you can make a lot of money doing you know right? so that's the slippery slope of like mm, do i want to you know do i want to dance with the devil in that sense and, and you exactly. know stack my pockets for a little bit i mean if i really wanted to make some solid money I would not be doing what I'm doing right now, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but for sure. I think with, with, you know, screen printing and printmaking, there's a, you know, if you're printing things commercially, that takes a lot of pressure off of you as a creative and as an artist, you know, you really, you're just doing process and production and, and getting things out the door, which is probably, you know, f- fulfilling in the sense that you you don't have that pressure at all. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, um, you know, I think, I've tried to kind of position uh, Cathead in a unique place that I don't focus, not now anyways, I think I'm trying to kind of like, you know, work this out. But, you know, right now we don't really focus on in-house design work because it's just, it's a whole nother level of the aspect. And I'd rather showcase other artists and designers in the city. Um, and so when someone comes to us, they're like, I need to design, you know, because a lot of people that honestly, a lot of people that come to me with print jobs, they already have design. And probably 75% of the time, it's someone I know, you know, because, you know, I've worked with Flatland, I've worked with Guide and Anchor, I've worked with tons of artists and designers in the city, Bootleg Sign Co. And, and half the time someone comes to me with a job, they're like, oh, Flatland designed this for us. And, we, you know, they said you could do the printing and stuff. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, but when someone needs a design, I'm like, well, you know, what's your aesthetic? And they describe something like, well, you go to bootleg or you go to Flatland or Guide and Anchor. You know, those are just a few examples. But um, so I think that kind of puts us in a unique, in a unique place. 
but it also does kind of take that pressure off of me because I'm not having to also produce design work. We can just focus on the actual the production of the, the items and things like that. So, yeah, so that definitely helps with, because, you know, running, I'm basically a one and a half person operation <laughs> and it's me kind of running everything. And then I, I uh, pay a person that helps me. Um, she's in the shop with me like 90% of the time and she does a lot of the printing and production work and I'm doing sort of the back end management and producing films and getting files ready and shooting screens and all that kind of stuff so but yeah i mean it's it's a lot for like one and a half people <laughs> yeah seriously <clears throat> this is kind of uh you know going back to the heron days but um i was a vcd major at heron and you know for a couple of my electives i took you know a couple interesting classes and for some reason i i can't for the life of me recall why I never took screen printing. Um, I, it's not that I didn't like it. I think I just honestly didn't know enough about it. Um, there were definitely kids in my, in my grade that were, you know, the screen printing was like a goal that they wanted to take a class like that at Heron. And I just really, I didn't do any of it in high school and really didn't know too much about it. So, you know, maybe if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, Hey, you know, I don't really know anything about screen printing. How does one get into that or what, what, what sort of things can people look up that they could learn about screen printing or, um, I don't know, I guess if, if I could, if you could talk to a previous version of myself, who's on the fence of maybe mm -hmm. taking a class or getting into this, you know, what is something you say to them? Yeah. I mean, I think as far as screen printing goes, I think it's the most, one of the most direct applications of design work sort of into the real realm that there is, um, especially with the way design is now as a digital medium um, and sort of a lot of it only existing in the digital realm, you know, designers working now, they're, they're designing for websites, Instagram, you know, kind of that, that whole realm. So I think it's one of the most easily accessible ways to realize a design in the physical world outside of just a digital print from an Epson printer or something like that. So I think that's where it has a lot of, of interest and application to the design realm. It's, it's a way that you can put your image on a tote bag that also utilizes another handmade sort of craft in a way, because I mean, you could easily digitally print an image on a tote bag or a t-shirt. There's ways to do that, but you know, I think it, it utilizes a, a handmade kind of process to realize those designs. So yeah, I think that's where there's a lot of crossover and it, and printmaking in general has that, that multiple um, sort of concept ingrained into it where you can produce an image over and over and over and over and over again, you know, on a hundred items or something like that. So I think, I think that's where it, it's a way that, a design can be disseminated um, into the physical world. So I don't know. That's kind of what I, I the, the sort of idea I've always tried to convey about why printmaking and screen printing is can be important for designers. Definitely, I. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. That's something I really missed out on. Um, I I wish I had another available elective when I was at Heron. I probably would have taken a screen printing class but I maxed out on my credits doing other, other BS, but, um, when were you at Heron? Um, I graduated 2017, I think. 
okay. I would have still been teaching there. Were you so, teaching screen printing there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I usually taught at least one screen printing class a semester. Nice. I think my homie yeah. Alex had you as a professor. Um, Alex, Alex Sanchez. Oh yeah. I mean, he's a studio artist at Cathead. So nice. He, yeah, he's, he does he, a lot. I think of, he's printed a few of my shirts there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's designed a lot of stuff for me. Um, he's one of the people that when a client comes to us and they need a design, I'll kick him to Alex because he's he can. He can like basically design anything. He can design something weird and foo-foo. He can design something very clean and corporate, you know, so he's, he's a great designer. Definitely. And yeah, I taught, I taught him screen printing. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. I've always kind of, you know, had my toes in maybe taking a screen printing class or I honestly think I'd just, it'd be cool. And I think I maybe even DM'd you. I, I'd just be curious to go to a, to Cathead Press one day and just kind of watch and just see some of the stuff totally. that's being printed and just kind of observe some of the process because I think that's partially the reason I haven't really dipped into it is I know process is is key and there's definitely a certain right and wrong way to do things um, and, you know, correct inks to use or the way that you layer stuff is important in terms of how it's going to look in the final, you know, the final composition, et cetera. Um, but me being a designer and just a creative, sometimes I like to kind of do cursory research just to see, okay, here's what the standard process is. You know, if you want to print something using lithography or whatever to, you know, I don't even know the right word words I'm using here, right. but basically <laughs> like what's the standard process to do the job properly. And then what kind of cool, fun, creative stuff can you do when you flip those rules or you do the rules in the wrong order or something? And what kind of creative things can you have that come out of that? I guess totally. is something that, that, that's kind of my approach to, to art in general. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess to tangent on that, um, are there are there new inks being created? Or like what's what's the future of printmaking and, and screen printing kind of like? Or what sort of things are kind of evolving yeah, or people are doing? I'm always like, I'm always trying to do research. I do a lot of research, mostly because I didn't ever train as a commercial screen printer. You know, when I first opened Cathead, um, the commercial printing side in like 2019, I was like, I'm going to use this new line of water-based inks and they're, you know, they're non-plastisol and they're great. And it turned out they sucked. <laughs> and I started using plastisol inks, uh, but plastisol inks have come a long way. They, they're like uh, phylate three free now. Um, they're not as toxic. Um, but um, even just with general screen printing, like fine art screen printing, the technology's changed a lot. A lot of the chemicals used now are non-toxic. They're water soluble. They're still like when I would teach at Heron, because, um, you know, we have to coat the screens with a photosensitive emulsion that you like shoot the image on that then like you wash out so that the ink can get pushed through the open areas. And um and then all the inks, you know, the inks you'd use for paper, like acrylic based, they're speedball acrylic based inks. So they're basically like acrylic paint. Um, they're not as plasticky. They have a different acrylic binder than like golden acrylic paints. So they, they have a different um, like flow to them um, and viscosity. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so uh, that, that technology has come a long way because, you know, in the 60s, all these like old dudes were using 
oil-based enamel screen printing inks that they were, you know, and then they'd wash them out with mineral spirits and shoot it with a power washer and it aerosol like mineral spirits into the air and they breathe it in. So, but it's funny because, you know, I'd, I'd be teaching screen printing and I'd be like, yeah, you know, this emulsion, it's water soluble. It's not really going to hurt your hands. You know, this ink is fine, but it's not really stuff you want to send down the drain in Indianapolis that just goes into the white river. <laughs> you know, I was like, it's, you know, it is what it is, you know, what are you going to do kind of thing. But, um, I forgot what my point was, but yeah. So, you know, the technology has definitely come a long way as far as like toxicity and accessibility to the materials. You know, it's a lot easier to get stuff. I mean, you can get everything you need to like do home screen printing on like blick.com, you know, so, um, it's definitely come a long way. And yeah, so I had to do a lot of research when we first started doing the commercial printing because I was doing it for a couple of years before we really like launched the commercial printing side of things. Um, but there was still, I'm still learning stuff because it's like I said, it's not something I trained to do. And I mean, we, we pull great, great prints, you know, on shirts and whatever, but yeah, it's definitely like still learning process, you know, so I don't know. It's kind of wild. <laughs> There's yeah, tons awesome. of like different technology and chemicals and inks and all that sort of stuff. So it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. That's super cool, man. Um, is there any crossover between, you know, your, your etching screen printing, printmaking background in, in the model stuff? Like, I imagine there's probably some, like, let's say maybe trying to get a logo or something on the side of a building or, you know, totally. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, a big part is like, and this, this doesn't like super relate to like printmaking as a process, but, um, like, but it does in just the execution of, of imagery and prints, but the sort of like color theory plays a huge part in the modeling. Uh, because when you're doing something on that scale and you have, you know, three little buildings sort of lined up next to each other, is different than seeing buildings in real life because they're so small and they're right next to each other. The color of each building, you know, plays a part in how they look together. So color theory is a huge part of the modeling. And then even, you know, I'm doing the wall, one color and the trim, a different color and trying to like figure out what colors look together and how they interact and things like that. So, um, and that's a huge part of printmaking, you know, even, you know, screen printing a shirt, like what colors are going to look good next to each other? What color is going to look good on, you know, if someone wants a purple shirt, like the shirt to be purple and their print is, you know, some weird color, like you have to think about simultaneous contrast and like how those colors interact with each other, how the chroma of the ink is going to interact with the like fabric and things like that. So I think there's a lot of stuff like that, that definitely like has crossed over to the modeling, just thinking about those kind of things. It's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's super interesting, man. Um, I was going to ask, given that you're from Washington state, is there, is there any influence that you carry over into your either art or printmaking or even modeling of sort of your childhood growing up out there? Or, you know, how does that have any effect on your artwork to this day? Um, I mean, probably part of when I was growing up, my parents, um, we had, uh, the Spokane art school in my hometown, which is essentially the same thing as like the art center 
here. So it was like a community art class school that anyone could just take like art classes and stuff like that. So my parents were enrolling me in those classes from when I was like, I don't know, six till I was maybe 12 or 13. And so I took tons of art classes. And one of the repeat classes I was always taking was um, these ceramics classes. Um, And there was something about ceramics that there's a, I feel like there's a slight crossover to printmaking because in ceramics, if you're doing sort of production ceramics, even like handmade, you're still, there's a multiple aspect to it. You know, a lot of the ceramicists I know here in town, they're going to make 30 mugs that are all like kind of the similar mug, you know, to have a stock of mugs to sell. Um, so I think there was something learning that initial how ceramics worked that kind of crossed over into printmaking, but even just, you know, being immersed in art studios that early, I think, um, influenced my, uh, sort of knowledge of, you know, what an art space could be and like how it functions, you know, even being a child or a kid and kind of experiencing that, I think, uh, influenced my, desire to open up an art space i think so i mean it sounds kind of cheesy but (laughs) but you know i think i think that's you know an influence for sure yeah that's super cool no that that makes a lot of sense did you have any let's say artists in the family or creatives in the family or you know Mm -hmm. maybe maybe a mentor either through school or something that you kind of you know, really pushed you along or gave you that extra boost you needed? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think just as a child, you know, my, my father's a jazz musician, he's a drummer. Um, so I was always around music and around musicians. They were always, you know, practicing in our house and stuff like that. Cause I'm also a musician, drummer and guitarist. And, um, and then my mom, you know, she was always an artist. She worked, uh, she owned a stained glass shop for a while uh, when I was a kid and she did uh, rug repair, like oriental rug repair and worked in other stained glass shops. And then my sister is a wonderful artist. So art was always kind of part of the, I mean, that's kind of sounds like a line. A lot of people say like art was always around, you know, kind of thing, but I mean, it really was, you know, it was, we were, I was just always surrounded by creativity. And so my parents, you know, always encouraged art, even in the kind of like growing up in the nineties, you know, feeling like you had to go to college, (laughs) you know, to get a career, even with that kind of always looming, they were always very supportive of being creative and stuff like that. But, um, but I think I really didn't like get an idea that I wanted to be fully immersed in the arts till I went to community college in Washington and I was like 21 and I took that sort of first art class and my professor um, he was a family friend now. Uh, he was the father of my now partner's like childhood friend. So like she knew who he was. And she's like, when we started dating, she's like, oh, you should take a class from Eric. Um, you'll love it. And I was like, okay, you know, so I took his art class and it just like blew me away. And I was like already, you know, very you know, I was a good student. I wanted to be good. And so I was just, you know, fully immersed in, you know, and I took design from him painting. He was a part of this kind of um, 
the art department at the community college. It was basically like a one person art department. So, and he went to Yale and Cornell for both painting and printmaking. Um, and his father was a pretty well-known plein air painter in like the Oregon, Washington area, kind of part of like the Emily Carr school and stuff like that. So he was very kind of like that old school artist, but he knew like printmaking, he knew painting, uh, design, um, and I just took as many classes as I could. And he turned out to be, you know, a mentor and he's still a family friend. And seeing what he did is kind of, even though I've like completely changed what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go with being in kind of the art world, um, seeing what he did made me want to continue the arts because I saw him as a practicing artist making work showing work in galleries teaching being like a full-time tenured faculty member at a college and i was like this is what i want you know i want to like go to grad school for for art and become a teacher and show work and stuff like that so i think that's kind of like what really put me on that path even though it's like completely changed i'm like completely <laughs> anti-academia <laughs> <laughs> at this point and uh, uh, completely doing something different. But I, I mean, that still like is, is part of, of, of what I've done and it's kind of part of my journey uh, through the arts. So. Heck yeah. Yeah. Those people are super important. I I'd not heard of a program where the, the professor is teaching multiple disciplines. That's, that's super neat. Was yeah. it all like a, like a homeroom type of class structure or was it just, you can schedule different classes with that person and they can teach that at different times. Yeah. So it was like the art department had maybe two or three different classrooms. There was like a main room uh, that had a bunch of tables that he taught design in. And then it had this other area where it had presses. So that's where he taught printmaking and painting. And then it had another room that was like drawing horses, you know, and that's where we did like figure drawing and stuff like that. But it was structured like any other college, like you signed up for drawing one, you know, he like designed the whole curriculum. So there was a drawing sequence. There was um, so it was like drawing one, two and three. There was a design sequence. So you took like design one, design two. Um, there was an intro to printmaking. There was a painting sequence. So it was painting one, painting two, painting three. And they were all separate classes. So it was it was structured like any other, you know, sort of art school. It was just all taught by the same guy. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's so really he was cool. a busy, busy dude. <laughs> yeah, he sounds like it. I don't know how he had the time to do gallery stuff and teach and teach all yeah, those disciplines. He was, was pretty, pretty prolific. So That's probably inspiring to see. Yeah, I actually got offered that job. So it was the only time I've, uh, I've been offered a tenure track position. And it was when he was retiring. And it was in 20... I want to say 2018. And so he was retiring. He was like, Hey, I'm finally retiring <laughs> and you should apply for this job. And I was like, okay. But I had just like left my full-time job at Heron or I might've still been doing it, but it was like kind of right when I solidified Cathead as like a full-time thing. And then I'd actually, my partner and I, we just bought our house here in Indy. And then because we bought our house, I had just moved my parents here from Washington. Wow. And they bought a house here. 
And so I was like, this is like the worst time for you to retire. <laughs> like you should have done this five years ago, <laughs> but I wouldn't have had the experience to get that job. So, mm. you know, he was like, well, even if you don't want it or you don't take it, you should still kind of just do it just to kind of, you know, go through the motions. I was like, all right. So I applied, flew to Washington, did the interviews. Um, I met with the president of the college, the vice president of the college. I met with the hiring committee. And then like two days later, the head of the hiring committee called me. She's like, we want to offer you the job. And I was like, okay, well, when do you need an answer? And she was like, right now, like on the phone. And I was like, I can't do that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So I was like, can I call you tomorrow? Can I have a day? She's like, okay. And then I emailed her like 24 hours later. I was like, I can't take this job. I'm sorry. (laughs) Dang. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) yeah, so that was, that was kind of a wild experience, but. Yeah, that was the first, the only time I've ever been like offered a full time tenure track position. And I just like, I don't think I have the stomach for the academic world anymore. You know, I still teach. I teach online at Ivy Tech. Um, I teach art history. And that's great, you know, but it's just like, I don't, I don't know if I could do it Mm. in that capacity. Why so? Just out of curiosity. I think just the way. It's just, it's such Is that a just tough... too big of a bag to open? <laughs> yeah, it's a really, it's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it, it's the, it's, there's so many issues of the cost of college, um, the way academia is run, the tenure, like the tenure system, um, you know, there's, there's just as much worker exploitation in academia as there is in any other like industry in the country, you know, the way that they basically mostly rely on adjuncts, underpaid overworked adjuncts to keep the colleges running. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. It's just one of those things, the people at the bottom doing the most work get paid the least and the people at the top do the least work and get paid the most. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's, it's hard now, you know, I, it's hard for me to justify to young students, like going to college with the price tag, you know, I'm just like, I have $142,000 in student loan debt. I'm just like, I I can't, it's hard for me to justify Mm -hmm. (laughs) like doing that to anybody else, you know? So I don't know. Like I said, it's a whole, whole other bag. Definitely. (laughs) Um, With teaching, um, and kind of the only reason I'm asking this question, I had, a one of my graphic design professors, after we finished our courses, um, we went out for like this, we went to a brewery or something as the last kind of, Oh, college hurrah, you guys passed your classes, et cetera. And when I was at the, like at this dinner, one of my professors came up to me and she was just like, Nick, you are going to be a professor one day. I can just tell and I can, I can tell it's in your blood. And I'm just like, dude, (laughs) I don't know, man. I've heard so many things. I've heard, I've heard a lot of great things too. And, you know, I like, I like being able to, to help people along their journey. And even if I don't know their journey, just kind of, I don't know, being a voice to help people kind of push for themselves and and kind of grow. Do you have, you know, maybe a, a moment as a teacher or as a professor that really stands out as like, I don't know, just something really cool that a student was able to do or that you worked with a student on that you're really proud of, or, you know, what, what are the good parts of teaching, I guess, that are, that are, that make it, that made it worth it. Yeah. I mean, I think, 
I think one, and it's, it's obviously kind of a cheesy, cheesy thing, but, you know, like seeing a student be excited, like really get excited about, you know, whether it's printmaking or painting or something like that, I think is, is very fulfilling um, just seeing that excitement. Uh, but I think uh, in the printmaking side of things, when I've taught print, whether it's screen printing or litho, when a student like gets the image, when they like make the image and it's like the image <laughs> and they're like, I did it. Like I made this perfect print, you know, not perfect, like, you know, polished wise, but like the image works, you know, colors, right. You know, the layers are right. The design's right. Um, that's really cool. That's a cool moment. And they're like excited about it. You know, they're like, I made this awesome print. Like I did it. And I'm just like, you nailed it. You know, when I can say you nailed it to a student, like that's, that's great. You know, cause I had teachers say that to me, like in Chicago, they're like, you nailed it, like in a critique or something like that. And I'm like, that's a really cool, cool feeling when a, when a student nails it. <laughs> I yeah. Think. Yeah, as a creative, you need that little push every once in a while to be like, am I on the right path here? Am I doing right, right? properly? And just and hearing all? like hearing someone say, yeah, you fucking nailed it, <laughs> you know, it's, it's great, you know, so and I love teaching, you know, I, I love teaching uh, students. I love teaching the process of, of printmaking. And I think that's why, um, you know, Cathead is still a, you know, a great, a great thing for me because I kind of. I can still do that, but it's, it's in a different environment. You know, the academic world, it's, it's half and half to me, you know, and some people really have the disposition and the stomach for it. And they can just like, they love, they can, they can do it for the sake of teaching the students. And it's like, I, for me, I had to like, I just had to get, I, I kind of had to reconcile this. And I just had to admit to myself that I, I just, I'm not built for it. I'm not mm -hmm. wired for the academic, like teaching environment in that capacity. I just, I can't do it. You know, I can't get past all the other like bullshit <laughs> that's part of academia. Like I can't look past it. Some people can. Um, so I think there's, there's definitely other environments that don't have that, that extra layer, you know, um, I taught at the art center for a while and that was kind of, that was a different environment because people were there, they weren't there pursuing a degree and they weren't there because they thought they had to be there to be able to get a job at some point. So it was, it was a different motivation for learning a craft or a, a process or something like that. So, and you um, could tell an immediate difference in kind of the approach of the people taking the course with oh, that for mindset. Sure. Yeah, really? for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, and, I, and that's not to say that like every student at in academia in a, like a academic school setting is like just slogging along, you know, there's, there's beautiful students and students doing great work, but, but it's, it's just, a, it's a hard thing for me to get past. <laughs> it's just, it's a different environment. I don't know. It's, it's not bad or good. It's just different. And it's something that I, I just, I came to realize I wasn't super wired for. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, I mean, it takes maybe some hard years to come to that, you know, realization or, you know, look yourself in the face and be like, yeah, maybe this isn't really the path that I'm trying to go down. You know, that's, it's probably a scary thing to kind of admit and, and pursue something different. But, totally, you know, yeah. I've definitely heard in Indianapolis, you know, I've heard people rant and rave about 
cat head all the time and you know the stuff that you guys do there and the the different jobs that people have you know alex has ranted and raved about it he loves cat head and said you're a super helpful dude and i think that's awesome man i mean regardless of the tenure track etc you know just being there to to assist people with process and some of the stuff because like you know whether you go to college or not there's still going to be like a correct way to do something that you know somebody could make mistakes for years and years and not even know that they're making a mistake you know it takes someone who's had some experience to you know even offer in a you know let's say a paid space you know someone's paying to go there to make stuff but still the people who run the space know what they're doing and totally, that, yeah. that thus has inherent value right totally yeah yeah and i think i think that's a great point i mean that's that's kind of where my where i evolved as if you want to call it as like a teacher but you know i just i just want to like help people do what they want to do and i mean that's that's injected into every part of my life i mean years ago one of my friends was getting married and she made an instagram post i was like we need a big pot of chili and I was like, I'll make you a big pot of chili <laughs> because I just like, I always like, I'm like, I, if I can, I like, I want to help people like realize what they want to do, you know? And so that's, you know, that's what I loved about teaching when I was teaching at Heron, when I would teach the senior classes, like the senior printmaking classes, because they already had the process down, but they were just trying to like realize projects. And I, that's what I really loved was be like, oh, like workshopping, you know, sort mm. of what's the best way to get this idea on a piece of paper or in a sculpture or in, you know, and we just like would workshop these ideas. And that's what I really found fun. And that's what I still do with Cathead, you know, with some of the artists that rent studios or the keyholder members are like, Hey, I need to do this thing. How do I do it? I'm like, I don't know. Let's figure it out, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So I think that's really what I still enjoy about that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's super cool, man. <clears throat> I definitely need to, I need to dive in and try to do some printmaking or, you know, totally. I need, I need to try to do it, but I feel like I would have to read like a, or even just be in the class for like an, an idiot's guide to right. you know, X or Y or. Well, we're launching know. this new uh, series of workshops. The local artist is going to be teaching them. So maybe you can take one of those or even like, let's print some of your designs on some shirts and you can come check out the process. And <laughs> That'd be crazy. <laughs> we'll just do it that way. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I had a, I had, I had Alex print me a T-shirt, and I had him do white ink on a black garment, and he was just like, "Dude, this ink is gonna be interesting, nonetheless." You know, it's gonna look gray. <laughs> he did. It took him a few tries, but the the final yeah. version is pretty neon looking. It's pretty neat. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, um, that was one thing I had to learn about screen printing was like printing on dark fabric. I'm I'm surprised I I don't charge a premium for like white on black like it seems like it's simple but it's way more difficult than if i was printing three colors on a white shirt or something just printing a single layer of black or white on a black shirt is is twice as hard <laughs> why hard. is that is it just the because the, the, the ink doesn't have enough i don't know gusto i don't know yeah the inks aren't as as opaque as you'd think. And so if you're printing white plastisol ink on a black shirt, you typically, you'll have to print it once while it's on the press. And then while it's still on the press, you'll have to flash dry it. So you're not fully curing it, but you're just putting a flash dryer over it to kind of get it 
dried a little bit or cured a little bit. And then you got to print another layer of that white, like right on top of it. And so obviously your shirt can't move. So you need to have your proper like platen set up and things like that. Um, so, I mean, it takes you twice as long because you're basically, even if it's a single layer, if it's just white on black, it's one color, but you're pulling it twice as many times. Mm. So it can get, it can get a little bit more complex. And then if you don't actually cure it right, the ink layer is so much thicker that if you don't cure it fully, it'll like wash out in the wash. It'll like chip off. It won't like stretch. Right. So it's, it's white on black is a tough, <laughs> tough print, but they're the coolest looking shirts. So it's like, yeah, you know, what to do. So. Yeah, it's interesting. You're basically applying like primer <laughs> to it first and then exactly. painting over the primer. Well, and then even if, you know, if I have a, a t-shirt that's on a black shirt and let's say it's a three color shirt and we'll just say it's like red, yellow, blue, you know, three elements of a singular design, I would still, it would technically be a four layer print because I'd have to pull a white base layer that's all of those colors as just a single layer white flash that and then i have to print each color on top of that white base so it actually shows up on the on the black and there's other ways you can print on dark fabrics you can do um discharge ink uh which some shops use but i refuse to like plastisol is already like semi-toxic enough but discharge inks they're um they're they come in different colors and it's actually a discharge base that you mix pigments into and you can print them on black and they don't actually show up when you first print it. But then when you put them through the conveyor dryer and it heats it up, it actually pulls the dye molecules out of the fabric and like evaporates them. <laughs> it's like, it's insane. Who but figures this has, stuff out? <laughs> I don't know, but the ink has formaldehyde. Oh, wow. And so they're like extremely toxic and they mm. off gas a bunch. Like you need to have a direct vent like outside. Otherwise your shop will fill up with like acrid smoke. <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, that's just a little bit of screen printing shirts 101. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, man. Yeah. I'll, I'd love to come stop by sometime. Are you guys still off uh, East Washington? Yeah, so we have the two locations now. So we have the East Washington space, and that's where we have the artist studios, um, as well as the like kind of communal print shop, the fine art print shop. And then we have our 10th Street space, which is like 3125 East 10th. It's like off of Gray. It's like two blocks from my house. Um, and so that's where we do all the commercial printing. So that has our whole like commercial printing set up. <clears throat> just because it's like a completely different, you know, range of equipment. Uh, we needed a separate dark room and stuff. It wasn't something I could fit into the like communal shop. Right. Yeah. So when you say you have studios there, are those like people have their own screen printing setups or are those like any type of artist could have a studio space there? Yeah. So at the Inglewood shop, we have uh, five artist studios that are upstairs and most of them are printmakers, but, um, I think all of them are printmakers, but they, it's all like, you know, fine artists, you know, making their print, their artwork. And some of them do screen printing. We have etching presses. So some of them do etching, uh, lino cuts, 
you know, all sorts of different stuff. And, you know, we've had like painters in there before. So it's not, you know, we're not like you have to be a printmaker. Um, and then we also have like about 10 key holder members who they don't have a private studio, but they, um, they pay a monthly fee and they get 24 seven access. So those are like usually printmakers because if you're going to have not your own private studio, your studio is the print shop. So they're usually, but I mean, if you were just making drawings, you could rent the space just to like use it because we have big work tables and guillotines and supplies, and you know, stuff like that. So it's definitely not, doesn't have to be printmaking, but, um, but yeah, so a lot of the artists, they're just uh, kind of doing their own artwork. Um, and then in this middle space where we used to have the gallery, we shut down the gallery because of COVID. And then to like keep paying the rent, we decided to rent it out of studios. So we have two artists in those and they're like completely mixed media. Like one of the artists in there, Cassie Woodworth, um, she does etchings. She does um, like, uh, what's the, like that kind of like tapestry rug making, like mm. needle, not needlepoint. I, I can't remember what I'm, I can't think of what the, the process is. But yeah, she's doing like fiber arts and stuff like that. Um, and then we ran out the front of the building too. And that's actually three photographers. So it's like a photography studio because it had high ceilings. So they have their like scrim kind of like drop backgrounds and stuff right. like that. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty like open space. And all the spaces are rented out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Congrats, man. That's thanks. That probably takes some juggling and some balance, I'm sure. And that's oh, probably something sure. you didn't think that you would be doing when you started making yeah. art. <laughs> and it's like it's pretty like that whole space is pretty self-sustaining at the for the most part. I think like you know, people have their perceptions about how things are run and if I make money and stuff. And I'm like, the that angle, that whole building nets about two hundred dollars <laughs> a month like after we pay the rent the internet it's a big space these, man yeah the utilities and then you know i try to provide as many supplies as we can so we provide the you know ink you know emulsion all sorts of other you know various supplies so yeah we don't you know it doesn't it's not like i'm pocketing a couple thousand bucks a month or something <laughs> off of like studio fees so it's, it's kind of funny but but yeah, it kind of runs itself. So that's that's the way it should be. That's cool, man. Well, it's been interesting getting to know some of your story, man, and some of your journey through academia and beyond. Um, For sure. <laughs> I think indie definitely benefits from people like you who are, you know, these DIYers that are like, you know what? You don't have to always do it the same way that it's always kind of been done. You can you can start something of your own and, and, and make it. I think that sort of energy, indie, definitely benefits from and everyone collectively can you know elevate you know everybody together to what they're doing in, in, in a much better way so that's awesome totally. man yeah no i appreciate that yeah it's it's definitely that's kind of how i try to approach things i'm just trying to especially as a transplant you know i'm not from you know india i consider myself a hoosier now you know i've been here over 10 years you know but um yeah it's a great scene and i wouldn't have like you know, open what I, you know, open cat head and would be doing what I I'm doing if I didn't think there was, there was like a benefit, you know, and, and I could help people. So, yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. I always wonder like why people end up here, even like my, I, I my relatives and I'm stuff. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm still not sure. I like, I can, when I applied to grad school here, I had not even like heard of Indianapolis. What was your I, take? 
Well, when I first came down here, I, I was actually, and it still does, but it reminded me of my hometown because Spokane is kind of the same size. Um, Spokane, all of Eastern Washington, like everything east of the Cascades is red counties politically, except for Spokane is this like blue dot. <laughs> and that's kind of indie. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, it had the same feel. It's like, there's a lot of urban sprawl. There's like cool things happening. There was a great music scene, you know? So I don't know, but like, I honestly had like never even really heard of indie. Um, I just like one of my professors at Western in Washington, um, he went to graduate school with Meredith Setzer, who's one of the print faculty. Um, and I knew of Dave Morrison, who's the head of the print department there. And he was like, you should apply to Heron, you know? So that's how I heard about it. And then, and then 10 years of time go by. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, when I graduated grad school in 2013, I was like, for that first two years, I was doing everything I could to get out of indie. Um, and then it just sort of grew on me. So I don't, I don't know what indie's happened. <laughs> indie's weird like that. It'll creep yeah. up on you. You know, and you know, now at this point, I'm just like, every place is the same. <laughs> yeah. We've got the same problems no matter where you go. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I recently did a road trip through from Indy all the way to Washington. We actually went to, um, drove through Spokane. Um, we went south to the Palouse, which was like really, okay. really cool. Um, totally. And then we ended up in Aberdeen for a little while and then eventually went up into BC and back across Canada towards Indy. And then I came down through South or through the Dakotas. But gotcha. man, it was cool driving out there. And I definitely kind of see what you mean. Like, Idaho and Eastern Washington definitely have, it was weird. I felt sort of like at home there, but I've never been there before. It was kind of strange. Right, It's a strange place. Um, did you see that uh, Nirvana mural in mm -hmm. Aberdeen? I worked on that. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. So the, my art professor that I was talking about at Grace Harbor College, he's the one that like spearheaded that. And so that guy was, does everything. <laughs> yeah. So it was him. And then it was me and two other of his former students. And we spent, I flew out to Washington. I was still in grad school. Um, and we spent like three weeks in the top of an old decommissioned like factory building, painting this mural on these like panels with one shot enamels and respirators. <laughs> oh man. I got sick like twice. I just bet. From, like, the fumes and stuff, but it was, it was fun. It was a blast. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Small world, yeah. man. Who would have thought? Right wild he kept painting over my stuff though i'd like i was the one that like designed and painted dave grohl and chris novoselic and he kept like painting over them and like changing their faces and by the time like we were done i was like they don't look like them anymore <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious yeah but anyway that's a whole that's another podcast <laughs> yeah sure yeah washington's a super interesting spot man it was I had a blast driving through there. I definitely was caught off guard with the some of the desert areas. Like we drove through Yakima and I was just like, dude, I had no idea this was here. Totally. Yeah, totally. It's like, yeah, once you get, especially outside of Spokane, because Spokane's still kind of in the foothills of like the Rockies, like in Montana and stuff like that. So it's a little less arid. But yeah, once you get like outside of Spokane, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's like... I don't know how people live there, dude. It was so yeah. hot, man. It was crazy. It's so hot. But it's a dry heat. <laughs> nah, dude. <laughs>
That was nope. when I first moved to the Midwest. When we first moved to Chicago, I'd never experienced humidity. Like I was used to hundred degree days, but it was like desert dry heat. You know, you could wear pants and we moved to Chicago and we moved in August and it was, you know, 92 degrees and hundred percent humidity. And, I was like, and you're just like, what is this? What did I do? What did we do? <laughs> yeah. That's that crazy, wild. man. Yeah. Well, cool, man. This was fun. I definitely yeah, enjoyed totally. getting to know more of your story. And, you know, now I no longer have to think that the uh, cat head press dude is just like some guy from Washington who's doing all this cool <laughs> stuff. I've got right backstory on. now. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm glad we could finally make it happen. It's been a uh, kind of a back and forth trying to get this locked down. So, <laughs> oh, word. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'll for have sure. to stop by sometime soon. And maybe next time Alex is in there or something, I'll tag along and totally check out what you guys got going on. Yeah, just let me know. We'll make it happen. Heck yeah, man. Well, awesome. I think we just cooked through about an hour or so. So perfect. Congrats, man. Good. This was fun. Yeah. We'll have to do another yeah. one and, and and maybe talk. I don't know. We can maybe talk uh, college and being a professor if you'd like, but uh, I totally, imagine we could yeah. talk about other things too. Yeah, yeah. Pull like two or three different subjects from all of this stuff and yeah, we'll we'll do some different directed conversations until it'll be game. So heck yeah, man. Well awesome. appreciate it. You have a good rest of your week, man. Yeah, you too. Yeah, thanks a lot, dude. Definitely, man. Adios. All right, talk to you later. All right, bye-bye.